God, thank you for everybody here and those who are out traveling and celebrating marriage, uh, something that is your idea. I pray that you'd keep them safe. Um, also, uh, would you speak to us tonight? Uh, speak through your word, like Tracy said. Um, <clears throat> and, and I do pray that we would be humble, God, to hear you uh, wherever you've been tugging on each of our hearts uh, prior to this uh, and during this time too, God, that, that we would consider what it is that if there's any changes that we need to make in our life. Amen. If you got your Bible, pull it out or turn it on. You can turn to John 8, but actually I'm going to tell y'all, I'm going to do a little review what uh, Kyle and Jay had been speaking about. Two weeks ago, Kyle said that God always reveals the truth and there's always a human response. Is that what you said, Kyle? Something like that? Let's see. What is the truth God is revealing and what is a human response? And we saw a pattern. Do any of y'all remember what the pattern was? It was an impossible situation and an impossible solution. I know that was 14 days ago. I, was a, I could barely remember what I did today. So we look, he looked at a few examples. One of them was Abraham and one was Moses. He actually used a different example of Abraham than I'm going to use tonight. But one of them, uh, there were numerous situations in Abraham's life that God required, that required God's intervention. One of them was Abraham was chosen to be the father of all who have faith in God. Why is that an impossible situation? Because the dude was almost 100 years old with no kids. So how is he going to have descendants that are going to be blessed and nations that are going to come from him and his wife, Sarah, who's up there? I don't know if y'all know this, but around the age of 30, this is just a physiological fact, fertility starts to decline. At about 45 and after, the chances of, of conception is very unlikely for women. Sarah is way past 45. Okay? So that's where they are. That's why it's an impossible situation. But God promises to bless the descendants through him. So they're both almost 100. No kids. Um... And God promises to bless Abraham's seed, and, and it's impossible to have children. So imagine Abraham having this conversation with Sarah. And he says, God says he's going to bless our descendants. And then imagine Sarah's look, looking at him like, and Abraham's like, what? Why are you looking at me like that? So what happens next? Oh, well, okay, so Sarah's like, what descendants? Not only do we, not only can we, do we not have children, but we can't have children. This is, you just got to step into what's happening with them, okay? So what happens next? After some time, Sarah thought, well, if we need to get this done, then why don't we just have a child through your maidservant? You remember that? Abraham has a child through the maidservant, and then they have Ishmael. So then, Abraham presents this to God, 
as if this was the solution. And God's like, uh, nah, no thanks. Not like that. That's not how it The point in, in the whole Abraham situation was this. What is God saying to Sarah and, and Abraham through this situation? God is saying, I can do anything with someone who trusts me. And what do we say, God, our response to God, when we can't do it is, God, I can't give what you expect of me. But God says, I know. I'll provide. I'll provide. And that's what happened. So then, long story short, Abraham and Sarah trust God and they have a son, Isaac. And that's the way that God wanted it to work. That's the way, that's what he wanted them to understand was that they couldn't. But as they trust him and believe him, he will and he can provide. The other guy was Moses, another impossible situation. Listen to this. Moses was born as an enemy of the Egyptians. And then he was raised by Egyptians. And then he killed an Egyptian. And so then he was excommunicated by the Egyptians. And during this time, God's people were slaves in Egypt. And when God heard the cry of his people, guess who he called to go rescue them? Guess. Moses. And you're thinking like, what? Out of all people. And that's what Moses was thinking too. He's like, what? Why me? Are you serious? I've got to be the worst candidate you to choose. God either must be bad at choosing people, or he must have a sense of humor. But actually, we're going to learn that God is up to something better than that. So long story short, Moses follows God, and he rescues the Israelites, because he believes God. So what do both Abraham and Moses have in common? They're incapable of producing the outcome that is needed for their situation. That's why Kyle said it's an impossible situation with an impossible solution. Abraham and Sarah couldn't produce life. Moses was not equipped to rescue the life of Israel. So why does God call them? 1 Samuel 16, 7. For God, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord, what does he look at? The heart. God's not looking for a qualified candidate in the world's eyes. The qualifications of God is a wholehearted response. Not someone who can in the world's eyes, but someone who realizes that without God, they can't. That's, what, that's who God is looking for. Someone who can come to that realization. And that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Isn't that what happened with Moses? When you hear the conversation between Moses and God. God, I can't. Abraham and Sarah, God, we can't. You see the pattern? God's trying to show us something. Last week, Jay showed how... Who was here last week? Okay, cool. Last week, Jay showed us how Jesus took the impossible situation 
of being in the middle of nowhere. And for all intents and purposes, Jesus had a lunchbox with some tuna sandwiches in there, okay? And there were thousands of people. And he took that little low Marvel lunchbox with Captain America and, and, and Superman with some tuna sandwiches in there. And somehow he took that impossible situation and he fed thousands of people. And what is he hoping that people realize? What is he hoping that they realize? Even when they, even when they were done, even when he was done feeding them, there was leftovers. What was the point of all that? That he can satisfy not only their cravings, but sustain their life. Unfortunately, most of them missed the message. They didn't realize that he is the life that would satisfy them. And when they went looking for him later on, it wasn't him that they wanted. You know what they wanted? They wanted to know what was for breakfast. Pancakes or waffles? Sausage or bacon? Do you think they understood what Jesus was trying to show them? Most of them did. I'm sure some of them did. Jay had a good point. If your relationship with God is viewed like a transaction, you will never be filled. That's not a relationship. If you're married... Okay, I won't stop. But you understand that a relationship in a marriage is not just, I'll do this for you if you do that for me. That's what I was going to say. If I do these things, then God will bless me. Remember Abraham and Sarah, how they tried to manipulate the situation when they couldn't by having a child through the maidservant. You know why they did that? So God promised to bless them, which was a good thing. But somewhere along the lines, after God had promised them something, they got distracted by the details. Abraham and Sarah thinking, God, I have a son. God, I have a son. How can we do it? God, I have a son. Too old, menopause. Right? And they got distracted. Same thing that happened with the people that Jesus was feeding. They missed it. They missed the point. Can y'all see that? All right. So, God's point with Abraham was not Isaac. That's not the point. God's point with Moses was not his qualifications. And the point, Jesus' point with the thousands of people was not just the bread. You follow me so far? Those were just the means by which he was trying to get them to see that he gives life. They were just the means that he, that he was trying to get them to see that he gives life. With Abraham, he provides a life. With Moses, he rescued life. And with the thousands, he sustained life. What do you think he wants you to have? What do you think he wants you to have? When you wake up every day and you're going to work and, and you're taking the kids to practice or you're going to school and you're meeting with your friends and all the things that you think about all the time, what do you think God is thinking? 
about you? What do you think he wants you to have? What do you think his deepest desires are for you? He wants you to have life with him. Life with him. He can provide it. He can rescue. He can sustain it. And we're going to see tonight that he can guide it when he says, I am the light. So now you can open to John 8. Just so y'all know, John was one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, sometimes when we're reading a book in the Bible, we try to figure out why the author wrote it. And they don't always tell us. John tells us why he wrote it. Does anybody know why? So that you would believe. He just up and says it. He just says it. I wrote these things. All these things Jesus did so that you would believe. It's real simple. Okay. So that's why he wrote it. John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him. Verse 2, now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him. And Jesus, he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, why? Testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Y'all ever heard the story? It's a good story, especially when you feel broken. So what do we know about this woman in verse 3? She's an adulteress. We don't even have to go there. We don't have to define what that means. It's just bad. Okay? What else do we know about her? What happened? What happened to her? She was there. Say that again. She was, she was accused of being. Oh, yeah. 
I need thought about that. I heard that a long time ago. I forgot about that. She was accused, and the man was not. She was accused. She was caught. She was exposed. She was guilty and about to be condemned. Have you ever felt like any of those things? What do you do? What do you want to do when you're caught? What do creatures want to do when they're caught? Hide, what'd you say? Run away. Escape. Can you relate to that? Have you ever felt caught? Have you ever been exposed or felt exposed? Think about Adam. What did he do when they were exposed? She said it. You want to hide. What about condemned? What do you want to do when you feel condemned? What do you really want if you are condemned? What do you really want? Who said it? Justice. Who said it over here? I heard it. Forgiveness? To be forgiven. If I'm condemned, I'm guilty. I, I really actually want forgiveness. There's no way around it if I'm guilty, right? So now she's surrounded and completely vulnerable, about to be sentenced to death. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees wanting to test Jesus and accuse him, which we'll talk about later, why they wanted to do that. They ask him what he says concerning her, and he ignores them. Why? Why does he ignore them? There's probably several reasons. I don't know. Yeah, he answers them with a question. Were they really concerned about righteousness, about God's righteousness in this situation? John tells us why they did it. Their judgment wasn't based on zeal for God. They're judging her for their own benefit. It's for their own benefit that they're condemned. So finally, they keep asking them, and in verse 7, <coughs> he answers them. Was it verse 7? Yeah, somebody read that. <laughs> Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then what happened in verse 8? And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Where did all the people go? Keep going. Verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. So what happened after he said, he was without sin, throw the first stone? What happened? Poof! Thank you, Andrew. Now their deeds are exposed. They didn't even have to say it. Just their own conscience testifies against them. He leveled the playing field by showing that the accused and the accusers are both guilty. It's something to keep in mind when we look at anybody around us. Whenever we're out and about. I'm guilty. Looking and judging and thinking, oh man. The dude made some bad decisions. Dang, how did he get that bad? But when I really consider myself, I'm not that much different. 
I just happen to be in a different situation, a different time. It's by God's grace that I'm, that there's anything good in me. So without God, everybody would be in the same position. We're about to see that in just a second. So they leave. But did everyone leave? Jesus didn't leave. And the woman didn't leave. I mean, Jesus didn't call her. She didn't have to stay there. She was guilty and exposed just like them. Why doesn't she hide? Why doesn't she leave? Why doesn't she run away? What's the difference between this woman and the rest of the people? Turn to John 3. About to find out. John 3, 18. Let me just tell you the context of this little conversation Jesus is having. Jesus is speaking with a Pharisee named Nicodemus who wanted to be associated with Jesus. Maybe like those people that he was just teaching before the uh, Pharisees brought the woman. And in a similar fashion, this dude named Nicodemus didn't want to commit or surrender to Jesus yet. Which is why he came to Jesus by night. And near the end of the, of the conversation that Jesus had, these are the words that he said. Verse 18. Who wants to read that? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There's good news and bad news. Bad news is by default, everybody is just already condemned. What's the good news? You believe you're not condemned. It's real simple, right? So why in the world would anyone not want to be forgiven? Turn to verse 19, you find out. Somebody read verse 19. This then is the judgment, the light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because of their because their deeds are evil. Oh, I see. So some people prefer darkness so they can keep doing what they want to do y'all see that let me read it again and this is a condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil this is why the pharisees were testing him this is why they wanted to accuse him right Because if the light is exposing my deeds, I've got a few options. I can get rid of the light, which is what they were trying to do. I can hide from the light, which is what they ended up doing. Or I can stand in the light, like the woman did. Y'all see that? Somebody read verse 20. Everyone who does, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. If I don't believe that life with Jesus is better or will come like he promised, why would I want to change? I don't believe him. Why would I want to change? And maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe that's why they want to get rid of Jesus. 
He's interfering with their personal life. He's interfering with my preferences or my pleasures. It's actually a good thing when God does that. You'll see in just a second. So you saw the difference between the woman and the rest of the people. And you saw the similarities. Both condemned. Both guilty. Both exposed. The difference is that when Jesus is in the scene and they're exposed, you just read it. Some men love darkness rather than light. They don't want their deeds exposed. But this woman who had, who was just as guilty, what do you think she wants? Think about her life. What it was like before to be caught that way. To end up in a situation like that. Sometimes we think down on, on someone in that situation, but when someone's in a situation like that, it's because they're hurting. Just like all of us. It's because they're broken and they're, they're hurting and they're searching. And they're trying to cope. It's not the right way. Jay alluded to that last week, right about our cravings. And he said, what if every time you had a craving, you prayed and you asked Jesus to fill you? Something to that extent. Do you remember that? This woman wants something better. She wants a better life. She has longing. Do any of you have longing? Jay talked about that too. That ache or an emptiness. It's a good thing. That's a good thing to have because that's what draws us to God. You ever feel that way? That there's got to be something better. He is that something. So what do the people do who are tired of all the striving in their life and realize that God must be true and desperately long for the life that he promises? Somebody go back to uh, chapter 3, read verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. They come to the light. They're longing for more. This woman was longing for more. She was guilty and exposed and she wanted forgiveness. She wanted change. She was tired of the striving and, and the coping. She wanted more and she saw who gives it. So she came to the light. Just Jesus, this is who I am. I'm hurting. And I long for more. If God's been tugging on your heart, just about anything, it's, is there anything keeping you from responding? If He's been tugging on your heart, is there anything that's been keeping you from responding? Don't let whatever that something is keep you from responding to those tugs on your heart. When you have longing or when you've been trying, when you've been striving and you still feel empty. 
or you still feel exposed, he, he's the solution to that impossible situation. When you stand in the light, you're no longer condemned, you're forgiven. When you stand in the light, you're no longer lost or striving for things that will fill you. He guides you. So that's why he says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's pray. Dear God, I uh, thank you that you call people who are broken, not people who are like, uh, I don't know, qualified or or ready or something like that. I, I thank you that you call those who are hurting and those who don't have it together, those who've messed up, and that you just offer this life. You offer to provide it, to rescue us. You offer to sustain that life. And it's all because of what you did, God. I pray that if there's anybody uh, who, who you've been like whispering to or just tugging on their hearts, maybe people who have been hurting or, or longing for more, God, I pray that... Uh, that nothing would stand in the way from them responding or, or just believing your promises, what you offer, what you offer us. And it's not like a one-time decision. It's more like a continual surrender that we need to do daily. Um, I, just, I thank you that you want that for us and that you desire life for us. Well, a life like that we could not imagine or even produce on our own. Just thank you that you want that for us. Amen.